Hello and welcome back to All Rings Considered, a read-through of The Lord of the Rings. We are on episode 57, looking at book 6, chapter 4, The Field of Cormolin. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, by the way, and I don't care. Uh, I'm going to say Cormolin. Uh, this is, we've actually, we take, I feel like we take it a little bit of break, Pip. I feel like it's been a while. It has been Since a while. you and I sat down, yeah, which was appropriate after the ring was destroyed. We needed a little breather, uh, but, but we're back. We are back. We, we have a, still have about six or seven more episodes to go uh, for this book, even though the ring is destroyed. Tolkien has a lot of loose ends he wants to, to uh, tie up. And yeah, we're going to start here with chapter four. Uh, Field of Cormolin, short chapter, begins with us back at the Black Gate at the battle between the men and the orcs that we last saw at the end of book five. And book five ended with Pippin hearing people shout that the eagles were coming. And in fact, we see here that they do. The eagles come and they help people out. But then the ring gets destroyed anyway, um, and everything crumbles, and the orcs run away, and a vast shadow reaches out like a hand, uh, but then gets blown away by the wind. Gandalf then gets the eagles to take him to Mount Doom quickly, where they can scoop up Frodo and Sam. They take them back. Um, they all go to Ithilien, which is that region where Frodo and Sam first met Faramir back in book four, and they're at a field called the Field of Cormolin, and they mm -hmm. have all kinds of celebrations where Aragorn acknowledges them and the people acknowledge them. And They are praised the with hottest. great praise. Praised with great praise. We're going to talk about this. Yeah. Um, praise with great praise them with great praise is the line constantly used by Aragorn and company. And uh, yeah, the chapter then ends with them heading back toward Minas Tirith. So Frodo and Sam are alive. Like, I think that's important. I guess I didn't say that. I should say that. Uh, they thought they were going to die, but they are alive. They are saved by the eagles. And they are here, and this is just this is kind of a it's, it's a short chapter. It's just not much going on. They're safe. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of know. a chapter for me that it just it's kind of like where the epilogue would be, right? So yeah, for sure, right? And and there are a few different pieces here that are there's not really much new in this chapter. This chapter actually has like a few like callbacks. And themes that are just kind of repeated. Uh, but it's a chapter where those themes are kind of all in the same place. We see uh, like some of the themes that have been explored in this book already, um, book six, mm -hmm. I mean, are just, oh, okay, instead of having one theme like really explored in a single chapter, they're just kind of all kind of like in a nice little, I don't know, little basket uh, right at the end. So you're saying this chapter has a lot of themes. Yeah, I think it's just kind of like a little... Just a tiny, like, little piece of each one. Like, like maybe, for example, like, that when the ring is destroyed, you have a, a sort of madness or um, this real physical feeling on the orcs that they, they know, right? So Sauron's yeah. power that was, it says, um, the power that drove them on and filled them with hate and fury was wavering. Its will was removed from them. And now looking in their eyes of their enemies, they saw a deadly light and were afraid. And so... You know, and you could argue whether that's when the ring's destroyed or when Sauron is bringing his attention away from them to focus on the ring being destroyed. But yeah. same thing, the theme of evil is some sort of supernatural force that is uh, overtaking these beings in a way, right? So um, you even had the Haradrim that were perhaps not... Uh, I mean, orcs have been described as like inherently evil, but there is some sort of supernatural real evil that is, is a real thing that is uh, compelling them. Okay. Um, right. So there's like there's a piece of that there. You know, there's uh, sort of like sort of the Christian themes in in this like resurrection uh, that happens with you know um, the 
you could almost think of the fields as like a heaven, right? They have those those uh, chairs that are very reminiscent of, you know, the seats that, you know, uh, a god would sit and pass judgment or welcome you into the afterlife. So it's like a, it's a little basket, like a lot of little things come together. A lot of little things. Yeah. Um, I took away from it maybe an interesting take. I This is going to be one of those episodes where I have to really put aside authorial intent uh, because here you know i have some some good stuff here in the reader's companion that i want to bring to our attention tolkien himself wrote about this chapter uh he said in a letter he said in this scene that uh we reach the you catastrophe of the whole romance the sudden joyous turn and fulfillment of hope it brought tears to my eyes to write it and still moves me and i cannot help believing that it is the supreme moment of its kind and um so I strongly disagree with Tolkien here. Uh, and, and in my disagreement, though, I actually don't think this chapter hurts the book. So I, I disagree that it's particularly moving or a, a wonderful you, you catastrophic moment. When I read this chapter, I feel sort of hollow. And th- that's because of this, this strange, almost stilted feeling praise of the hobbits by these people. It, it feels very alien and very weird. Right, sitting there just saying praise them with great praise over and over again. But a strange line. It feels very almost high church kind of feeling and, and just very formulaic. Like it, and I'm sure some people would find that powerful. But I can't help but feeling, and I can't help but thinking rather, I guess, about how unhobbit-like it is and how the hobbits have done this great thing and they've saved the world. But the reality is this wasn't the world they were actually trying to save anyway, right? Like what was motivating Sam there in Mordor? He was remembering the Shire. We talked about his intense nostalgia last chapter. It's hard for me to go from that nostalgia, which I think is powerful, of the Shire and his simple life there, to this very stilted, formal, archaic, you know, high, low, it's Gondor. Uh, mm-hmm. praise, praise them with great praise. It feels very hollow. Like, I mean, this is what is this? This is what we were saving. And it was. I mean, part, part of it was, for sure. But it's not really what they were trying to save, right? It is certainly a good thing that it's there. It's better than Mordor. <laughs> But, but yeah, I don't feel very connected with it. I don't think this really hurts the book, though. I think it sort of enhances it in a way. Notice that Frodo doesn't feel great this whole chapter, right? Yeah. Uh, he feels... Like he refuses Sting, or he tries to. Yeah. He seems to already be thinking of himself as somewhat of a failure, in a way. At least that's how I read it, right? Like, he's mm-hmm. not super comfortable with all of this, because, well, and to be fair, he did fail, Um in his own mind right and that's hard to come back from and then this this world is the first thing that greets him it's not, it's not as though he's transported right to the shire to see that in perfect shape it's it's this sort of strange alien place i think that's a neat effect it doesn't bring me to tears though i'm surprised the author felt it was that kind of moving yeah this <laughs> chapter but, uh, isn't like i would not pick this chapter out of there are many many i would pick up before this one before i yeah. In terms of like emotional movement, and Aragorn just seems still now that he's king again. He seems stilted and distant. Yeah, that's appropriate in some ways, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting contrast with that Shire nostalgia. Yeah, and I think we'll probably end up talking about this more when we actually do get back to the Shire. But yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting feeling of he can't really he doesn't go back right right, and I think you're right that this does feel alien. Like the, because Frodo has never been in this society before, and now he is. Uh, like this is what, what is next, right? Like this is the what is coming after uh, the threat of Mordor, and 
it's alien to him and he's not he's not actually yeah. going back to the shire i mean he actually does physically go back to the shire for a time but yeah yeah and we'll definitely talk about that more when it, when it comes up but he will not be able to truly go back there which i think is just one of the powerful lessons of, of, of the book but yeah I, this this isn't something i feel connected with i don't think most readers would and um that's okay you know what i'm saying right. like th- this this is not supposed to be the part where we have a you could you catastrophic moment i suppose and i guess i would argue too that even though tolkien believes you catastrophe is fundamental to fairy stories and myths and things in a way one of the things that makes this book so great it makes it stand out is that it doesn't ultimately lead to one of those hmm. this might be where the book itself is so weird right it's a fusion of myth but also it, it is still a novel and it is still out of the 20th century in so many ways and i think this is one of them that in the end it is that kind of myth that doesn't quite get there yeah right like the ring's been destroyed but in its place is kind of a, a sterile hollow world right now that i don't feel super great about especially from the point of view of frodo right yeah and again it's not a bad world but i just i don't feel particularly connected with it we're not and, and, and i did feel connected with the shire at the very beginning of this book right so we've we've seen a world we can be connected with but this isn't really it and as you know when we get to the shire again we're going to talk more about how <laughs> we're not ever really going to see it so right yeah, I, I think it's 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 uh, powerful and interesting and thought-provoking in its own way, reading it this way at least. I don't think Tolkien's reading of it works very well. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. Let's see. Uh, one thing I went to um, from the beginning, I loved the call out to the, that hand in the in the clouds that reaches yeah, out really and then cool. is blown away. It was really great visual. Um, but one thing I want to mention is that it's described... Uh, a great uh, for even as it leaned over them, a great wind took it, and it was all blown away and passed, and then a hush fell. Um, and it kind of harkens back to um, fog on the Barrow Downs, one of my favorite chapters, of course. Mm. Um, and when the White says in his poem, one of the lines is, um, "In the black wind, the stars shall die." And then Tom Bombadil's response poem later, he says. Uh, Shrivel like the cold mist, like the winds go wailing, out into the barren lands far beyond the mountains. And so this wind actually is it was predicted yeah. by Tom Bombadil. He it called was, it. Yeah. Bombadil calls it. Yeah. Tom I Bombadil. The whole time. You know, we, we said way back in those chapters that Bombadil casts a long shadow over the book and his words and his right. his, his, his actions just echo across <laughs> the book. And I think yeah, we still we continue seeing it. He is more important than prep. Perhaps he's often given credit for. One last interesting thing I have to note about this chapter is the um, the date. Uh, the chapter itself, I think, takes place as like April 8th, but the, it specifies when the ring was destroyed. And it says that that date is uh, March 25th. And this is great. Uh, I'm going to just read straight from the Lord of the Rings Reader's Companion here. However, this is also a great book. People should go read it. Uh, but they say that in the road to Middle-earth, that's the book that they're quoting this from, Tom Shippey, great author, big fan, please go read his work. Um, yeah, Tom Shibby comments that, quote, in Anglo-Saxon belief and in European popular tradition both before and after that, the 25th of March is the date of the crucifixion, also the Annunciation, nine months before Christmas, and also the last day of creation. From the latter part of the 12th century, the Feast of the Annunciation, Lady Day, or 25th of March, was the beginning of the year for most purposes in England, and it remained so for legal and official purposes until the reform of the calendar in 1751. Uh, so that's cool. I Lots of cool things there. You could read it as a neat little hint of Tolkien providing like a justification for why that date got associated with yeah. both the new year and uh, the crucifixion. But I mean, even thematically, this the crucifixion of Christ was on this day, uh, according to, some, to this uh, ancient European tradition. 
uh, then, you know, symbolically, it's just this, it's the same thing here in, in Middle Earth that uh, this is the day when the, the world was saved. Yeah. yeah. This is the day when, when mankind was saved. So I like that quite a bit. I think it's a nice little detail on Tolkien's part. And it's pretty impressive too, because he had to, you know, map all these things out. So he had to take care to make sure everything was feasible and would end on this date for it to work, right? He must have done some, mm-hmm. he might have done some backwards planning kind of thing. I, I'm not sure, but uh, it's it's a cool little detail, 25th of March. Yeah, um, it's very like, it's kind of like an upgraded version of um, uh, the way that uh, golf was invented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? exactly. In, from The Hobbit. Yeah, but anyway, that's all I have for this chapter. Um, I have a favorite line. And I, then... I have a couple more things, oh. Charlie. Yeah. Okay. Um, couple. You little... told me you okay. You tell me before we start recording. Oh, I got nothing to say. Uh, I'm, was... I'm ready to filibuster. <laughs> that was hopeful no. thinking. Um, uh, let's see. A couple little things out of the basket. Other themes that pop up in the chapter. Uh, not recognizing each other. So that happens. We've talked about different characters not recognizing each other and having transformations and as being representative of their character transformations. There's one where uh, they don't recognize Aragorn because he's king, and then there's the line, and then they knew him, changed as he was, so high and glad of face, kingly, lord of men, dark-haired, with eyes of gray. And there's the part where Frodo and Sam don't recognize Merry and Pippin because of how they've grown and changed, and they've literally grown because they had the int draft. Yeah, there's the theme of so separate from that, um, not recognizing each other, there's the theme of laughter is a, a really yeah. um, powerful force uh, described in this chapter. Um, yeah, absolutely. We've talked, yeah, we've talked about it before, and it's just showing up here again. Wait, did you mention, I apologize if I missed it, Did you mention, in, in your basket, did you mention that Sam's wish about being put in the song comes true here? There is like a bard no. who sings. No, I did not say that. Yeah, so that that's kind of neat. I mean, it's not really talked about much, but a bard does sing the song of frodo the nine fingers and the ring of doom and sam gets really excited because yeah he got to be in a song yeah um and then i have two more things one is that in this chapter we see something that doesn't really happen writing style wise and uh from the rest of the book where it's very rare mm-hmm. we actually see things repeated events repeated so there are two events one where the eagles are coming so we already knew that we'd, we had seen that in a previous chapter um, before we cut back over to Frodo and Sam, uh, where they say the eagles are coming, these eagles are coming. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. And then we actually see the line from, let's see, what was it? Oh, I'm glad that you were here with me at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's actually, yeah. we actually really see it again. Um, yeah. So that was kind of interesting. And then the very yeah, last I thing. I think this is the first time that's happened in the. Yeah, I think so book, too. Right? Yeah. Like it's a it's an interesting way to connect things that we haven't seen before. Um, mm-hmm. Just, just for the fact that we haven't seen it, that's conspicuous. Then the last thing was that, um, you know, I didn't really know what to make of this, but I made a note. Um, I was hoping I would have, like, thought of something interesting to say. But the part where they're det- deciding what to wear, so Gandalf tells Frodo and Sam that they are going to go before the king, and they say, "Oh, but well, we don't have anything to wear." And Gandalf says, "Well, you have to wear what <laughs> all of this stuff you've just been wearing forever um, on your way to Mordor." Um, because like it's appropriate right yeah and i wasn't sure what to make of that because then they get redressed in like soft clothing but that seemed important but i couldn't think of something to say so readers hmm. at home 
take yeah. that you know that's an exercise i'm gonna leave for the reader sounds good uh okay well your favorite line my favorite line uh, relates to how you mentioned earlier about the power of laughter in this chapter and uh so my favorite lines here is a paragraph where gandalf and sam are talking and sam's really excited he thought gandalf was dead of course so this is really big deal and gandalf says a great shadow has departed and then he laughed and the sound was like music or like water in a parched land and as he listened the thought came to sam that he had not heard laughter the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count it fell upon his ears like the echo of all the joys he had ever known but he himself burst into tears then as a sweet rain will pass down a wind of spring and the sun will shine out the clearer his tears ceased and his laughter welled up and laughing he sprang from his bed this is a great moment this i could see tolkien's you catastrophe stuff going on i could see him being moved by this part uh not so much the parts where the everybody sings praise them with great praise over and over again but this part it's just sincere and it's just real and such great imagery tolkien with his nature imagery as always and but it works really well here and um it's a very nice moment yeah and it's great from sam's perspective too yeah i just thought the echo of all the joys he had ever known that's so great yeah good pick yeah what do you got what have i got okay so i have this segment you mentioned it when there's a minstrel uh singing Mm -hmm. um i picked it out because i just liked the the prose and he sang to them now in the elven tongue now in the speech of the west until their hearts wounded with sweet words overflowed and their joy was like swords and they passed and thought out to regions where pain and delight flow together and tears are the very wine of blessedness yeah that's a good one too yeah there's some i mean tolkien has a way of um putting contradictions together um so you know somebody can be a good character but they are terrible you know, to look upon. But it's also, there's this part where uh, in the sentence, it's, this is an interesting device where in a sentence you will keep time, where it says, and he's saying to them, now in the elven tongue, now in the speech of the West. So it's as if it's happening as you're reading the sentence, Mm. um, rather than first in the elven tongue, then in the speech of the West. It's now, and it's now as you're reading it. Yeah, and their joy was like swords, which I, I thought was, it's one of those, it's it's just a way of describing something that makes you stop and reread it. So hats off to, to Mr. Tolkien here. All right. Um, well, with yeah. that then, we are on to chapter five, The Steward and the King. We have, it's interesting how many post-ring chapters he has. Tolkien has a lot of, he just has, a, he has a lot of things he needs to say, even after the climax. Uh, Peter Jackson stole this idea for his Return of the King movie too, just yet to have a lot of <laughs> endings. Uh, it's appropriate though it's appropriate for such a long book i feel robbed if it just ended abruptly so yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it i'm on board i love it great so we will see you next episode then chapter five the steward and the king see you then <laughs> <laughs>